Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting. The both are terrible, but one is totally worse. Edition. Today is <laughs> today is episode 155. Man's moving rash was actually worm larva. Yeah. And surviving the darkest year of the dark ages. My friends. What a combo today. You know, I really raised the bar. <laughs> These are the things of nightmares, but good news. They were absolutely real. Now, wait, before you understandably go screaming and running into the distance, hear me out. You'll want to hear the fascinating medical story we're going to cover, and you will learn more than you ever wanted to know about a time in human history that was equal parts mind-boggling and just tragic. In the first half of the show, we're traveling to a gorgeous region of Europe, but we won't be spending any time on any beaches. I am so sorry. We're, we'll be at a hospital bedside to a male patient who went in for one treatment and coincidentally was treated for another. Bizarre lesions appeared over his body and the sharp-eyed medical staff noticed something even more puzzling. They seemed to be moving overnight. Yeah, like traveling, like they were taking a fucking walking tour of Madrid or something. Now, how the staff was able to figure this out and who was airbnb this man, will all be revealed. Thankfully, it ends well, and you do not want to miss it. Then after the break, it's all going downhill from here. <laughs> My friends, we're going to travel back to a time, to a year, historians call the single worst year in human history. And you know it's got to be bad, because humans have done some wicked, awful, no-good shit over the centuries. But in this case... The single worst year in human history all started with an old-fashioned volcanic eruption. What followed was hell on earth, so we must ask ourselves, would modern day you and me survive it? That's right, that question means it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Let's read from a book, motherfucker. And we are sticking with Cody Cassidy's How to Survive History. And on page 69, we're getting fucked. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, we're taking a deep dive into a year and then some which devastated populations across the globe. Famine, disease, death, and pandemics are just some of the things we'll have to face. I'll try and share some pointers to help get us through, but, um, you know, I'm going to be honest. It's, uh, it's not looking good. But fingers crossed, nonetheless, and I'm Jill Chacha. <laughs> If this is your first time listening, welcome to The Flock, my delectable business goose. We're going to begin today's show by slapping on some sunscreen and boarding a flight to Spain. Fun. Now, unfortunately, though, a flight is as fun as it's going to get in this unusual story. Once we land, we need to head on over to Hospital Universitario, 12 de October, in Madrid. I butchered that, but I'm from Brooklyn. That's as good as it's going to get. And for my fellow geographically challenged Americans, uh, you may be hesitant to ask where this is exactly for a number of reasons, but don't worry, I've got you. Please, if you will, imagine Spain. Thank you. A point to its center, and there is Madrid. In the south of the city is the hospital. And it was here where a 64-year-old man was going through a fucking journey, a genuine fight for his life. Sometime earlier, he was previously diagnosed with metastatic lung cancer. 
Now, if that sounds bad to you, yeah, it's no joke. Quote, metastatic lung cancer means that the cancer has spread from where it started in the lung. It is also called advanced lung cancer. Unfortunately, advanced cancer can't usually be cured. But treatment might control it, help symptoms, and improve your quality of life for some time. End quote. From cancerresearchuk.org. And for anyone who has witnessed or supported a loved one through this, you are well aware of the multitude of complications that pair with it. In this case, according to the report, published April 21st, 2022, in the New England Journal of Medicine, this poor soul had to be hospitalized because the cancer had spread to his spine and formed as a mass pressing on his spinal cord. Now, <laughs> this absolutely blows. So on three, we're going to say fuck cancer together. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Fuck cancer. Well done. So proud of you. Now, to help alleviate some of the side effects from the treatment of this, one of the things prescribed was a high dose of glucocorticoids. Now, what in the holy hell is this? Don't worry, I've got you here too. According to Rachel Retner of LiveScience.com, it's a, quote, class of steroids that help fight inflammation and are sometimes used in cancer patients to help with the effects of chemotherapy and to aid in the treatment of certain cancers, end quote. All right, sounds great, right? Well, put a pin in this, uh, we'll return to it later. Yeah, so treatment. <laughs> treatment had been going normal day after day until the fourth day when the most well that's interesting of well that's interesting of events began. Please join me, will you, over at our social media stuffs. I'm talking Instagram, Twitter with an X for some goddamn reason and useless threads, come on by. Tap on today's post and behold, the butt and back of our patient. I, I will, uh, I'll give you a second to pull it up. I'm actually doing it right now myself. And uh, uh, yeah, my friends, this is literally exhibit A as labeled by the great New England Journal of Medicine. Now, at first glance, it kind of looks like dozens and dozens of red scratches, like his ass got tore up for some reason. Now, if you're a business goose that's on the queasier side when it comes to this stuff and you're not taking a peek, I get it, but this, that's kind of what it looks like. Red, raised, like pink scratches, about three inches in length, all this all over from the butt all through the back. But get this, my concerned friends, uh, these air quotes scratches didn't appear like this instantly. Uh, this picture of the patient is a day or so after the first of the marks were noticed, and they started, where else, but by his anus. Yes, you heard me. It started around his anus. Put that on a t-shirt. Uh, but don't worry, it gets worse. Uh, medical staff noticed something super unexpected. Yes, they appeared around the butt, but in only 24 hours, this situation had spread to his lower back and upper back, what you see now. However, these didn't seem like new scratches. Instead, it looked as though they had moved or migrated up through the skin. Yeah, put that on a, put that on a mug. Um, <laughs> my friends, now my screaming business geese, uh, you may be wondering a lot of things by now, and maybe one of those thoughts is, if they believe these things are moving, what in God's name is it, and how do you even prove they're moving? Ah, uh, great questions. I'm so glad you're here. Look, let's start 
with the ingenious way they captured movement. So please, if you will, once more, head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Swipe through. I'm going to do the same. Uh, behold, exhibits B and C. My friends, doctors went all arts and crafts on this. And as you could tell in exhibit B, they traced each lesion with a blue pen. They then waited 24 hours, which must have been a blast for the patient. And the result was exhibit C. The outlines were empty and the lesions were in another, in another spot completely. I, yeah, it's even hard to say that. With this literal skin-crawling evidence, medical staff knew they were dealing with, yep, say it with me now, a parasite. That's right, a type of roundworm. Now, we haven't had an episode like this in a while, but if you're a long-time listener of the show, you know to check for parasites, you gotta test some poo. So... Yes, they took a stool sample and it tested positive for a type of roundworm called Strongoloids stercorilis, which I either butchered or, and or nailed. But in the, in, for this show, we're just going to call it Strongy for short. <laughs> now, a few fun facts about Strongy. Uh, it's known to, quote, exist on all continents except for Antarctica, but it is most common in the tropics, subtropics, and in warm temperate regions. The global prevalence of Strongy infection is unknown, but experts estimate that there are between 30 to 100 million infected persons worldwide. The most common way of becoming infected with Strongyloids is by contacting soil that is contaminated with Strongy larvae. Therefore, activities that increase contact with the soil increase the risk of being infected, such as walking with bare feet, contact with human waste or sewage, Occupations that increase contact with, co with contaminated soil, such as farming and coal mining, end quote. And all of that was from the CDC. And now, my friends, please put another pin in that last part. Walking with bare feet, contact with human waste or sewage and occupations. And add those pins to the other pin, which is glucocorticoids. Okay? Thank you. Just put that to the side. Now, in terms of life cycle, you know... I can't resist, and I have to tell you, Strongy's life cycle. Here we go. Quote, when the larvae come in contact with the human skin, they can penetrate the skin and migrate through the body to the small intestine, where they burrow and lay their eggs. The eggs hatch inside the, the intestine, and most of the larvae are excreted in stool, but some can reinfect a host through a process known as autoinfection. This happens when the hatched larvae either burrow into the intestinal wall or penetrate the skin around the anus. Ding, ding, ding. The latter appears to have happened in this man's case. End quote. From Rachel Retner of Live Science. So thank you, Rachel, for that description. My friends, I know what you're thinking now. This poor son of a bitch is going through cancer treatment and now a roundworm? What? How? How in the holy hell? Well... You won't believe the series of coincidences which put all of this into play. For you see, my sparkling business goose, our patient worked in sewage management, and Strongy can be found in wastewater contaminated with human fecal matter. Now, what the fuck he was doing barefoot or without proper coveralls is beyond me, but somehow they got into and under his skin. And now, for the most incredible part. Yeah, now... We don't know. We don't know for how long he was infected. For you see, most people infected with Strongy don't 
develop symptoms. And our patient was part of that majority until he was administered glucocorticoids. Quote, the man's treatment with glucocorticoids predisposed him to a serious form of the infection known as Strongyloid's hyperinfection syndrome. In this form, the worm's life cycle is accelerated, leading to a much higher number of worms in the body than in a regular case. According to a 2011 paper published in the journal Gastroenterology and Hepatology, end quote, that was also from LiveScience.com. So, my friends, I know. Look, believe it or not, thank God that this was discovered, because according to the online journal Medscape, Hyperinfection syndrome can lead to a spread of worms to the lungs, liver, brain, heart, and urinary tract. And yet this, it could lead to death in up to 80% of cases because diagnosis is often delayed. I'll say that again, death in 80% of cases. Holy shit, am I right? This guy is so lucky or has the worst luck? I'm, I'm not really sure. In any case... He was treated with the antiparasitic drug ivermectin, and the rash, the worms, were gone. After the break, <laughs> this may have been a pain in the ass, but there are simply no words for the horrors our ancestors had to endure during the literal Dark Ages. They survived, but could we? Let's reluctantly find out. <laughs> Stay tuned. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, for some inexplicable reason, you and I have agreed to travel back to March 24th, 536. And that's not the local time, that's the year, 536. Now, we just so happened to have landed in one of the few bustling cities which existed at the time, the British hill fort of South Cadbury. The world, I know, ooh la la, right? The world, though, is extremely different as you and I know it when it comes to geographical borders and even building structures. Rome once ruled over this area, but has since fallen, so we'd be walking on Roman roads, hearing Latin spoken by the upper classes, but Britonic 
by the everyday folks. In sum, we have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> but maybe, maybe they're talking about the latest battle which occurred between Britain and the Anglo-Saxons, a group just absolutely fucking determined to take over. Now, who were they? Don't worry, I wasn't sure either, so I gave it a quick Google, and in sum, they're considered Germanic folks from Northern Europe. In any case, all you need to do is put a pin in that they were hell-bent on ruling over Britain. So far, though, Britain, Britain's army, they are holding strong and kicking ass. So it's probably no surprise, then, that could be the topic of conversation rather than how it's an unusually cloudy day. In fact, my friends, quote, sometime on this March day, you'd see the sun pass behind a cloud and not emerge for nearly a decade, end quote. Now, my quizzical business goose, you may be asking, uh, what, what, what the fuck? What kind of cloud are we talking here? A decade? Won't that really screw with food and, you know, living? Maybe, maybe we should head back? Yeah, <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right to ask those questions, and we're certainly going to answer them, along with, could we survive the darkest year of the Dark Ages? Yes, this hellish hypothetical means we've begun everyone's favorite segment, let's read from a book, motherfucker. <laughs> and <laughs> that never gets old. We are sticking with Cody Cassidy's latest, How to Survive History, and I think... I should tell you a little more about this cloud. Tis no ordinary cloud, as I assumed you gathered already, but here are a few, here are a few fun facts about uh, what it had done to the world. Globally, temperatures dipped on average five degrees, and in northern latitudes, well, they got it worse. It was more around 10 degrees. Now, if you need some perspective, if your body temperature dipped that much, you would be in some serious trouble. And so would be the Earth. This is what happened to all the things that lived on it and grew out of it at the time. Something called a dramatic feedback loop occurred, reducing evaporation and thus rain, creating a drought which brought one of the worst famines to hit humankind. And we know this. We know this for sure, thanks to a number of things. None of them were time travelers. No, uh, one of them is that one of the few, this is one of the few ancient events which occurred when writing had been invented. So we've got some very poetic first accounts. For example, the Byzantine historian Procopius uh, wrote, quote, the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon during this whole year. And it seemed exceedingly like the sun in eclipse for its beams it shed were not clear, nor such as nor such as it as it is accustomed to shed end quote now if you take the word of a politician roman senator cassiodorus wrote that the year 536 quote brought a winter without storms a spring without mildness and a summer without heat end quote and finally michael the syrian because i guess there was only one michael at the time <laughs> michael wrote a quote <laughs> Michael wrote, quote, each day the sun shone for about four hours, and still this light was only a feeble shadow. Everyone declared the sun would never recover its full light. The fruits did not ripen, and the wine 
tasted like sour grapes. End quote. Ugh, my friends. Look, terrible wine is already making this an unbearable hellscape for me. But don't worry, it's about to get a whole lot worse. Records of a kingdom north of the Yellow River in China had such severe summer snows. Yeah, you heard me, summer snows. And drought? What a combo. In not only 536, but 537 and 538, that it's estimated that 80%, that's 80, 80% of the entire population died. Archaeological digs? Dating back to the 6th century, found that small villages across Scotland, Ireland, and Scandinavia just up and left their farming communities. They just left. There was nothing to farm. So, at this point, you may be asking again, Jill, what the fuck? What kind of cloud are we talking about here? Well, my friends, brace yourself. A decade of starvation was caused by a supermassive volcanic eruption followed by two more. You know, just for shits and giggles, I guess. The first occurred around the time we landed in 536. The others in 540 and then 547. So those written accounts were not just some fancy ass overreacting writing. We also have physical evidence to back up their statements. Physical evidence that's lasted to this day. In the 1990s, quote, scientists analyzed ancient tree rings and discovered a remarkable consistency across the Northern Hemisphere. Beginning in the year 536 and continuing for the next decade, tree rings evidenced extreme growth abnormalities. Not only did their widths testify to the extremely poor growing seasons, they showed evidence of summer frosts, end quote. My friends, not only did trees have tales to tell, but even ice samples. And it turns out these ice cores solved a huge riddle as well. Back in 2015, an, anal an analysis of various ice cores in the Northern Hemisphere showed that 10 years, showed 10, sorry, I could, I could read my notes. <laughs> Let's try that again. Back in 2015, an analysis of various ice cores in the Northern Hemisphere showed 10 years of sulfuric pollution in all of them. And get this, the ash found inside them matched to that of Icelandic rocks, which means it's incredibly likely that the darkness of 536 was caused by one of Iceland's volcanoes going boom, big time, for real. It's estimated it shot out 70 cubic miles of ash into the atmosphere and just a wee 100 megatons of sulfur dioxide. 100 megatons? Jesus. And when that sulfur dioxide mixed with water in the atmosphere, it created a sun-shielding haze that maintained for years. At least 10. Anthropologist Joel Gunn did a little uh, clickety-clack calculations and came to the conclusion that the sun shown only 10% of its normal power. Just why even bother, right? So 536, totally blue, and so did 540. Remember, this all happened again, and we believe this volcanic eruption occurred in El Salvador. It's probable Ilopango erupted and did so with a force not seen in 7,000 years. <laughs> It literally told Iceland to hold my beer, as it was Ilopango 
that affected the entire globe, not just the Northern Hemisphere, like Iceland's volcano. Was, it, it made it look like a, a, like, a, like a passing gas, you know? Anyway, but that was not the last one. And this is certainly not... In 547, it just keeps getting worse. I'm sorry. In 547, there was yet another eruption, possibly in Indonesia. So uh, we've got ourselves a well-distributed clusterfuck, don't we? Every square inch was affected, and everyone, and I mean everyone living at this time, experienced a hell that makes the COVID-19 pandemic look like a fucking walk in the park on a glorious day. Let's get into it. Crops. <laughs> Crops, I mean, were pretty much non-existent in the Northern Hemisphere, leading to drastic waves of death. Norway's population fell by half, for example. Yeah. What's called the Irish Annals of Innisfallen, an historic journal, noted, quote, a failure of bread from 536 to 539. Ah, that's three years. I, for one, can't live without carbs for a day, let alone three years, so just fucking shoot me now. Uh, continuing from Cody Cassidy's book, quote, the Scots living in Ireland and in the picks of Scotland abandoned their farms entirely, relocated to the coast, and became fishermen. All archaeological and weather simulations suggest that in the decade following 536, Northern Europe suffered one of the worst famines in record history, end quote. So, well, here we are. Where does that lead us? What in the holy hell do we do? <laughs> I say this with my hands on my hips. Well, needless to say, our options suck. Uh, being, in, <laughs> being in one of Britain's largest cities, it's not going to help much. Even if the country produced a kick-ass crop the previous year, maybe, just maybe, there was enough emergency grain to, like, store it away to, you know, prepare us for a bad year. But good luck having a king organize a fair distribution of that. Anyway, a year's worth isn't and wasn't enough, as we know. In fact, there are accounts of Britain, Britons uh, eating the bark off trees to end their hunger pains. God. And because, and because on average, in times of extreme crisis, people treat each other like complete shit and can, can't not quit their love of and belief in capitalism. Mm -hmm. Quote, as the food supply dwindled, the demand for what remained skyrocketed. Markets, market specifics don't exist for the famine of 536, but in the medieval great famine of 1315, the price of salt quadrupled in less than a year when the drop in production combined with the increase in demand. Without salt, excess meat goes to rot and dairies cannot produce milk and cheese. End quote. Which means, my friends, not only starving, but people lost their jobs, especially those in fields that focused on making inedible things like cobblers and smiths and tailors and such. Well, that sucks. And, uh, but don't worry. In times of crisis, the rich find a way to profit. So while all this is happening, quote, the very wealthy scooped up real estate at rock bottom prices, while everyone else looked for work where there was none and eventually ate food that wasn't really food. End quote. No, my friends, the Elons of the day would just tell you to pull yourself up. You know, like they did. In any case, we can't pull ourselves up because we're too busy eating the last of the cows, horses, pets, 
and eventually rats. When that's gone, we may be tempted to eat rotten food. And I know you're hungry, but please, I'm going to have to smack that out of your fucking hand. Quote, once your diet descends into rotten matter, you've entered a dangerous stage. As tempting as rotten food may become, you should avoid it. In medieval famines, rotten food killed more people than true starvation. Most died from parasitic diseases or dysentery that they contracted by eating diseased food. Villagers ate grain infested with fungi like irgot, which grows on rye, causing excruciating intestinal pain followed by death. Today, it's called irgotism. But in medieval times, it was known as St. Anthony's fire, and the cause was a mystery, end quote, of course. So, no, a big no-no, no-no to rotten food. And it seems, without jobs, a home, and all food, and pretty much relying on roots, sprigs, leaves, and bark, it seems like it's best to leave the city and any densely populated areas. Joel Gunn suggests getting a small community together, and to live off the land by farming crops that can adapt to this chill. So maybe, maybe we just hunker down and plant barley in the middle of nowhere? Is that the plan? Um, maybe, maybe that might work. But I'm sorry to tell you this, famines are usually followed by the one-two punch of plague and war. Of course. My friends, fucking brace yourself again. These we may not be able to avoid. Quote, High in the Tibetan plateau, the chill and drought force bubonic plague-carrying rodents into the more populated lowlands, where they infected traders. These traders ferried the plague west and brought it with them in boats down the Nile. In 541, the disease arrived in the Egyptian port of Pelusium. From there, merchants spread it through the Mediterranean. End quote. Now, why did I bring this up? Well, this particularly blows because Britain, where we are, needed the Eastern Roman Empire for trade. It, you know, it being an island and all. So needless to say, when Rome got the plague, it made its way over to where we are in Britain. But, but you know who didn't trade with the Eastern Romans? The Anglo-Saxons, remember them? They didn't get sick. But the starving, already dwindling country of Britain did. And this, the Anglo-Saxons believed, was the perfect time to deal the final blow and invade. I guess it was a genius move. Uh, it's terrible to call that genius. But they barely faced any retaliation, as forts were abandoned and cities were decimated. So Cody suggests joining the, quote, invading, Odin-worshipping, old English-speaking Anglo-Saxons. You'll have to get accustomed to their different ways. They live on simple family farms rather than in urban cities. They worship the same Germanic gods that inspired the Vikings, such as Thor. They do speak English, but that doesn't mean you'll understand them. Their ancient version is different from modern English as German is today. So at best, you'll pick out a word or two. End quote. Uh, I don't want to join an Anglo-Saxon army. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't, my friends. I think it's best to hop back in our time machine and just peace the fuck out of here. Thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about uh, that man's anus. Um, the rash. <laughs> the 
rash, which was actually worm larvae that, um, and the ingenious way the medical staff traced them and they moved overnight. Oh God, I can't even. And, uh, yeah, let's never, ever time travel. It fucking blows. And, uh, I'm also sending a warm chest bump over to the folks at Airwave Media the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you'll love the other podcasts in this family. Just, ah, they're just so fucking great. And please, stay interesting.